Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Ryan Keith, and I am, as of July 1, they just changed my title around here, I'm now the Community Engagement Pastor. That's my title. And what I do here is I help us figure out how do we live on our mission and our values outside these walls. Uh, Just this week, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio. Anybody from Cincinnati? Anyone? Okay, anybody online, you can shout really loud. We'll hopefully hear you. So Cincinnati fans are really uh, loud. That's not, um, anyway, loud. I just went to Cincinnati Reds game and there weren't a lot of people there. I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm used to a packed house. Not a lot of Reds fans at the stadium, but they were loud. So uh, not the point of today's sermon. So uh, I was in Cincinnati with uh, Nate Baum, who's our ministry resident here at the church for the year. And then another pastor of a local church here in Mechanicsburg. And we were visiting a place called CityLink. And CityLink helps the needy. They, they help the working poor. That's what they do. And uh, when I was there, I heard a couple interesting stories about giving to the needy. One, they were sharing with me how there was a local organization, a charity, corporation, doesn't really matter. And they wanted to make a gift to CityLink, but they wanted them to name a big room in their building after this corporation or foundation or whoever it was uh, in exchange for that gift. And CityLink doesn't do that. So they said no. And the organization said, what? We're not going to give, right? Um, So they had this idea of giving to the needy, but then they didn't do that. Meanwhile, CityLink was in part started by a local church and a community who is given, they give every year half of their $2 million budget to CityLink. And and then they've given about $16 million since inception to launch this thing. And you know what? When you go through CityLink, you will never see a reference to this church, right? That they have just been quietly giving to launch CityLink and it's having this profound influence. It's actually changing the way churches and community groups work together to meet the needs of the working poor. And I think their model is going to sweep across the country. And I was there to learn how to do that better. And why do I say all that? Today, we're going to look at our posture of giving to the needy. What does the Sermon on the Mount have for us to learn about how and why and when do we give to the needy and what's the reward? Here's our roadmap. Uh, We are beginning the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at some passages in the Sermon on the Mount related to how we grow in our spiritual disciplines and how we live those out in such a way that it brings about the kingdom in the world today. How do we practice our spiritual disciplines in such a way that it brings about the kingdom in the world today? Uh, This week, we're looking at giving to the needy. And then next week, prayer and then fasting and, and these are really timely things. And particularly, I think this one about giving to the needy is, is uh, profoundly important. At a time where people don't know if God is real or if he is for anything and they only know him for what he's against, I think our opportunity to give to the needy is a profound way to say to the world that our God is real, he is trustworthy with our everything, and he is worthy of our very best. And the needy matter to God and they matter to us as a great proclamation of the hope that we have in Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be looking at giving to the needy and the the practice, the spiritual discipline of giving to the needy. Uh, Here's here's our roadmap. I'm going to read through the verses. 
And I'm going to make just a couple of observations about the four verses. What do we learn from them? And then what I want to do is go verse by verse and unpack them because there is a lot here for us to learn in these four verses. But here's the proposition right up front. I put it in your sermon notes in the back or on the front of your sermon notes. It says this, we give to the needy to give glory to God. That's our main point. We give to the needy to give glory to God. And our obedience to give to the needy with this posture leads to glory to God, of course, as well as practical and spiritual rewards for us. Put another way, we give to the needy to give glory to God and for our good. We give to the needy to give glory to God and for our good. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to read this passage here beginning in Matthew 6 verse 1. Okay? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the two big observations I want to make are these. First, these four verses help us answer the question of why do we give to the needy? In your notes, it says, why do we give to X? In this case, give to the needy. Because in chapter 6, Jesus is going to go through and explain uh, why we give to, why we fast, why we pray, why we give to the needy. So the X is the same throughout. We want to give glory to God. That's what we learn from these four verses. Uh, we learn that we should give to the needy and it's why we do everything, to give glory to God, not seek the adoration of man. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, I don't know if anybody's read that. I haven't read the whole thing. It's not very short. Uh, but they say man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen? It is so true. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And this set of verses illustrates that very well. And we'll see that throughout. The second observation I want to make is that it says when we give to the needy, not if, but when, as a practice of practicing your, your righteousness, uh, one of those components is giving to the needy. There's an expectation from Jesus that we will give to the needy. If you kept reading in chapter six, it says when we give to the needy. And then he says when we pray and when we fast. These are expectations of spiritual disciplines that followers of Jesus will do. When you give to the needy happens in verses two and three. It's when. First John three seventeen through 18 says it this way. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed. Uh, sorry, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And you could look at Matthew 25. Also, there's so many passages that illustrate the importance of giving to the needy. So when, not if. So I'm just going to assume that we are giving to the needy. Now, I want to go through each verse and then see what we can learn from Jesus about giving to the needy. Starting in verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. This is the main verse in chapter six, that this, this verse is the main, the main one because it applies to all of these. Again, right? Like practicing, um, giving to the needy, prayer and fasting. So we want to, um, we want to beware of practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. What it doesn't say, what's really important, what it doesn't say is don't practice your righteousness in public. This verse, these set of verses often are taken out of context. It doesn't say that. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, say um, that not to practice in public. It says, do not practice your righteousness in order to be seen by them. That's a really important distinction. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you might remember that uh, we shared Matthew 5, 16, and this is what that says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's important to note that it's not wrong to give in public or for your gifts to become known. It is a matter of the heart and obedience to give for the glory of God. That's what this passage is speaking to. Jesus in Luke 4 explicitly calls out a widow. You might remember that one. And Jesus calls out a widow and, and, and shares with, with people that she's the example, right? Um, and, and didn't seem to be embarrassed by that at all. And in fact, it's good. Hebrews 10, in Hebrews 10, you can write this down. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says it this way. And let us consider how to stir up one another into love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we should stir each other up. So your giving might prompt my giving, your good works and practicing of righteousness might prompt me to obey the Lord. Those are all good things. Those are good things. And there's so many examples. I can give you a lot. In the Old Testament, and number seven, we're not going to read the whole thing because it's long. But essentially what it is, is it's Moses hearing from the Lord that chiefs uh, should bring their gifts to, the, to pay for the tabernacle. And, and just in 13, just to give you a very specific example, number seven, 13, you don't need to write this down. It's just to illustrate. And his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, right? So it wasn't just that, oh, there's this person who gave. It's exactly what they gave. And it wasn't just documented then. It's documented for all time for all of us to see, right? There is, it's not a problem for your giving to be made public. But the, this verse is cautioning us to do these things, to practice our righteousness in order to be seen by others. We should pause and consider earnestly when it comes to giving to the needy, is our desire to give glory to God or is it to gain the adoration of others? That's what these, that's what these verses are calling us to consider. God is concerned about your heart and your obedience. It's possible to obey God in public and to seek his glory alone. It is possible. This verse emphasizes that we need not worry about practicing righteousness in order to be seen by others, but to give glory to God alone. I had this mentor who said, 
always strive to do the right thing. Always strive to do the right thing. God knows, God knows. I don't know about you, um, I have received praise for doing the wrong thing, right? Like if you're in a conversation, you just slander someone because it just feels so good, right? And yeah, that guy's, you know, whatever, you know? And, and you've been praised for that. And then I've also been criticized for doing the right thing. And my mentor used to say, when you go to bed at night and you take an inventory of your day, how did it go? How do you sit before the Lord as you finish your day? And it's a practice that I would encourage you to do too. Uh, we have this thing with my kids that we learned some, from some missionary friends of mine called, um, you probably heard the term paradox, right? Uh, paradox, like when two things are in, in seem to be um, in tension. So we do this thing called paradox, pair of ducks, yay ducks and yuck ducks, right? And we look with our kids like, what went well? What were your yay ducks? And what didn't go well? What were your yuck ducks for the day? And I do that kind of thing with the Lord. Like, how did the day go? And at the end of the day, no matter what, even if I've been praised by people or criticized by people, I know how I am with the Lord when I sit with him and ask, how did I do today, Lord? God always knows. Seek to be right with the Lord. Don't worry about the praise or critique of others. It says, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. No reward. What does that mean? It's also in verse two. Here's what it means. God does not reward platitudes and going through the motions to gain attention. One commentator I, I read said it this way. And it was so much better than I could come up with. Here's what it was. There's no such thing as unholy means to a holy end. There's no such thing as unholy means to a holy end. God's word says that we should seek the glory of God, not the praise of others. That's what we learn from verse one. Let's go on to verse two. Thus, when you give to the needy, there it is again, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. So what's the story with the trumpets? Uh, you know, historians, biblical historians are conflicted about this. Like where did, you know, did they set off trumpets when people gave? Um, the best thinking I think is imagine, it's like imagine there was an offering plate. Some churches still do this. There's an offering plate at the front and people would come throughout the service and, and make their offering during the service or after the service, right at the front, at the kind of the altar of God. And imagine the band would start to play. And we know that trumpets are loud and the band would start to play. So all eyes would be attuned. No matter what was going on, all eyes when the trumpets would start to play would face the front. And it's then that people in this passage would go up and say, now when everybody's looking, I'm gonna go and give my gift because everyone's gonna see me give my gift right now. That's what it's like. So don't be that person, right? Somebody has to go first, right? Somebody has to go first, but don't do it in order to be seen by others as, wow, that person is a high roller. They're going first. They're kicking it off. Uh, I want to tell you about, uh, I got to tell you about my first wedding in Zimbabwe. 
Many of you know, I used to go to Africa a lot and I was in Zimbabwe for my first wedding. My friend Garrett was getting married. Okay, my friend Garrett was getting married and I'd never been to a Zimbabwean wedding and I didn't know what to get. Like I didn't, what do you get for people on their wedding day? I didn't want to assume that it was the same as what you get here. Like do do people there need a, you know, porcelain china set? Do they need like, what do they need? Do they need another blender? Like what, what do they need? And so um, my friend said, get them something that they probably can't get that will last a long time. I said, sheets are great. Um, I've slept in a lot of beds in Zimbabwe and sheets are not awesome usually. And so I decided to get them a nice pair of sheets for their bed. And so I I picked out some sheets and I brought them and I was going to give them a little money. And so I go to the wedding. I'd never been to a wedding before. And there are hundreds of people at this wedding. Okay, hundreds of people. And it is raucous. They don't have a lot of money. Most people in Zimbabwe make about a dollar a day, but they knew how to party. And there's this gym kind of building and there's a long line of people coming out of the gym and I got in that line. And as I got closer, I heard people inside, a lady on the speaker um, speaking into Bailey and people were hooting and hollering. I had no idea what was going on. So I meandered through the line and the noise is getting louder as the crowd is filling up the gym. And I get to the front of the line and there's this table blocking the entrance to the church or the gym. And sitting there is this lady with a ledger. And she said, is that your gift? And kind of broken English. And I said, yes, my gift. And I saw her write it down, sheets. And she conferred with her colleague and wrote down 150. And then she took my money and wrote that down too. And then she turned and, and, and announced to the whole, sanct- the whole gym, Ryan Keith has arrived and his gift of sheets is worth $150. And then they listed my cash and everyone, ah! everyone got so excited. And the only thing I recognized was my name, Ryan Keith. And I was trying to figure out, I was like, wait, they just announced what I gave, right? It was super embarrassing for me, for the other beneficiaries who couldn't do such a gift. It was embarrassing for my friends. It was just embarrassing. When I read this passage, that's what I think about right? Trumpeting, like literally trumpeting my gift, right? All other African weddings that I've gone to, I just go to the wedding. I have no gift. I'm like, I don't have any gift. Uh, And I give it to them later because I've learned. So now if you get invited, do that too. My point, my my point is, (laughs) I wish they had told me that. My friend just wanted me to have that experience. Uh, uh, So my point though is when we give loudly, when we give loudly, there's unintended consequences for that. For the beneficiaries, for other people in the room, there's comparison. Like they literally had a ledger and they were announcing all of the gifts. Now you might not go to a Zimbabwean wedding anytime soon, but, but you uh, likely have engaged in, maybe you've engaged or come across someone who's engaged in something my uh, Southern African friends call a human safari. And what this is, is you've, if you've ever served somewhere, right, or, or gone someplace, whether it's in Mechanicsburg or the far corners of the world, and you've ever gone somewhere and you're serving and you are so worried about getting just the right image of you serving with someone, you take it from seven different angles and then you rush back to your hotel room or maybe you've got Wi-Fi wherever you are and you're posting it to Instagram 
or Facebook, and you not only want people to know that you're doing something cool, you want people to know you're doing something cool right now. Like that's so important to you that people know where you are and what you're doing. I've been on lots of trips with lots of people. And when those people go away, my friends who remain, local people in Harrisburg and other places, they talk about this concept. They call it different things, but this concept of human safaris. Like these people were so worried about capturing how they looked and whether people would know that they've been here than they did about giving glory to God or loving the needy that they were there to serve. We have to be cautious with our hearts. We have to take care to remember to give glory to God and not gain the adoration of others. So let's finish verse two. It says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, what reward have they received? Well, since there's no place on earth where God's word stops being true, that's one of the things I've learned in ministry. There's no place on earth where God's word stops being true. I was reviewing an African Bible commentator, commentary that's used to train pastors in rural areas. And I was curious how they teach this text to poor pastors leading their people to give to the needy. And this is what they said. The feeble accolades and admiration they receive from people is their payment in full. God does not provide any other reward. People wanted the honor of humanity and they received it. That's all. So the fleeting, the fleeting thoughts and adoration of people is all that we receive. That's what this verse teaches us. There's this helpful tension between trumpets, right? The wedding, when it was everyone knew what I gave and how much I gave, okay? So don't do that, right? But then earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men. So that is my see your good works, you know, there's, there's that tension. Like, how do we live in this tension? We don't want to be a trumpeter, but it's okay that our good works spur each other on. How do we do that? Well, I think that that's a helpful tension and one that shouldn't go away. When we think about giving to the needy, there should be this helpful tension of how do I navigate this well? Like, I want to be part of this, of what God's doing. And if people see okay, but that's not my main reason. And then I also want to be cautious to not give in order to gain reputation, in order for my business to be known as a kind person so I gain clients or people think of me better or whatever, right? There's all kinds of reasons why we share about our giving. How do we live in that tension? Well, I think that that tension is here to stay and that's good. But there's this, there's this idea called quiet investment or quiet giving that's been helpful to me in my journey to wrestle through this passage over the years. Quiet giving. On your outline, there's a question of how should we give in verse two? How should we give? Or verse two teaches us that we should give quietly. Our giving to the needy should not be loud, but quiet. People may see it. It's not our, that's not our primary reason, but that's not our intention. Verse two encourages us to give quietly to the needy. Here's an example that might help you remember this. I was in Zambia once and uh, I was visiting this poor uh, 
woman and her world was a mess. Like her world was a mess. There's no other way I can describe it. Uh, I'm, I have lots of words in my vocabulary. I talk a lot, as you can tell. I don't know how else to describe it, but it was a mess. And, and this woman, her, her house was falling apart. Her husband had just died. Her kids were out of school because she couldn't afford the school fees. Her, her farm was not producing any fruit or crops. Like everything was falling apart for this woman. And as she was sharing her story, I started to cry. And I just remember my ear, eyes tearing up. I'm doing it now. And, and I, just, I just was so moved by her story. And, and this woman didn't know about me or about Forgotten Voices, the organization I was part of. And she didn't know about any of that. And she was just sharing her story with me. And I was so moved. And I said to this woman, I am going to pray. And I'm going to share this story with my friends back in the United States. That's what I'm going to do. So I did just that. I left this lady and I shared this story around the country. I probably shared it here at Washore and other places. And people gave generously to Forgotten Voices. And then Forgotten Voices gave money quietly to this local church. And we said quietly because then that local church helps these families. And the families that we serve know nothing about me or us. They only know about their local church. So we quietly invested in a local church who helped this lady. And a year later, when I went back, she was bragging and showing me her house and how amazing it was and giving praise to God because the church had come and helped her repair the bricks and put on a new roof and uh, worked in her crop and her field and uh, her kids were back in school. Her whole world was different. And she was giving praise to the Lord and she was a different person. And she remembered me though and she said she wasn't angry she wasn't upset. She was just confused. And she looked at me and she said, how come you did nothing? How come you did nothing? She's used to people like me telling, hearing sad stories and reaching their pocket and giving her money. How come I did nothing? She didn't know that I had traveled and prayed and stayed up late and traveled the country and did all this stuff. And her whole world is different in part because of me. But here's the deal, friends. She was giving praise to God and thanksgiving to her local church who you and I might have given a couple bucks and that money eventually got to this woman, right? But her people, her local church are the people walking alongside her and helping illustrate and testify to the glory of God through the manifestation of the local church. Like they are the people doing the hard work. And even if she never knows about you or me, she does know proudly, boldly rather, about the love of our God for her. And I just smiled at her and I said, I promised you I would pray and I promised I would share the story. I'm so thankful to God that your church has provided for your needs. And I don't share that for adoration. And I prayed and wrestled through that story because now like I'm sharing it with you, right? But I, I share that story because I felt a release from the Lord to tell you that this word is true and it's good for us. We see more glory. The people in Africa that we serve, this lady saw more of God because of our posture of quiet giving to her. When we give to the needy, we should do so only for the glory of God. Let's continue in verse three. In verse three, this is what it says. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So what's the question for verse three here? How should we give how should we give? We should give quietly and freely without worry 
not even allowing ourselves to keep track. We should give quietly and freely without worry, not even allowing ourselves to keep track. But didn't Jesus just just say this in verse two? Well, I think verse two is about giving before others. And verse three is about giving before ourselves. Like how do we even think about this ourselves? We should not even let ourselves know or keep track of what we're doing when it comes to giving to the needy. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a minister from the 1900s, explains it this way. When you give to the needy, just forget all about it. Do things as you are moved by God and led by the Holy Spirit, and then forget all about them. But how about you? It's very tricky to trick ourselves or to hide things from ourselves. I don't know about you, but that's true for me. Uh, I am not as humble and self-sacrificing as I think I am. And I often think I'm very humble. Uh, My dad and I, you might remember this song uh, uh, by a a singer called Mac Davis. Uh, He he has this song called It's Hard to Be Humble. Anybody hear that song? Well, some of you get some head nods. Okay. So I was just listening to it yesterday as I was preparing for today. And and, and, uh, I've been listening to this song for a long time, but my dad and I have made it better because we're that humble. We know a lot about it. And and we used to, on road trips, my dad and I would drive and inevitably get lost because we'd be singing and writing songs together. We'd get lost in wherever we're going. Happens a lot with us. But this song, it's hard to be humble. We would change it, right? We would change and add verses like this one. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're as generous as me and all the moms in the world wish they had a kid like me, right? So we'd sing these songs and then we keep adding. Thank you. We, we keep adding and I got lots of verses, right? And it's got to be with like a little Southern twang to it. And and then my dad and I, if you want to know more about humility, we are writing a book. It's coming out soon. We've been working on it for 41 years. Um, humility and How We Achieved It, Volume 1. But, but all jokes aside, it, it is, it is it's funny. It's true. Not, not true. Uh, because we just have so much to say. It's going to take us a long time. It's not coming out soon. Uh, but all jokes aside, we uh, love to trick ourselves. It's really hard to have a humble posture before the Lord. And I count it such a joy, such a gift from the Lord that in my struggles at times in my career and still to to go, uh, my lack of humility and my lack of being um, uh, so generous with the Lord that I don't even keep track of my own uh, practices of righteousness and giving to the needy. God's work, God was so generous to me and that helping me be part of a ministry that worked best when people never knew that I even existed, right? To spend my whole life on something that it worked best when people that we benefited from our work didn't even know that we existed. What a good God to give me protection uh, with those people because the work did, worked best when people didn't know. So what a good God that is. So as I say these things, just know that I know these things to be true. Does not even letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing. Too often we're worried about giving up to a certain amount or we have this giving fund or we don't want to give too much. 
Friends, when we give to the needy, when we give to the needy, I, I just implore you, encourage you, if God prompts you to give to the needy, do it. You cannot outgive God. Because the reality is, yeah, some of you say, I've worked really hard for this money. Those people can work really hard. I have met really, really, really hardworking people, the hardest working people in the world, and they have no money. It's not about hard work. All that we have and all that we will ever give, there's value in hard work. I'm not dismissing that. I tell that to my kids all the time. What I am saying is all that you have or all that you will ever give that you can give away is a gift from God to you. If there are people who have needs and you deny them of that, we will have to answer for that. Give to the needy. Don't worry about it. Give to the needy. God will provide. I was thinking about my grandmother who recently passed away. Many of you have heard me tell stories about my grandma. She recently passed away and she grew up in the Great Depression at age seven, her family sent her away because they couldn't afford to take care of her. They couldn't feed her or clothe her. And so she went off to find work and then came back. Um, but despite their financial circumstances, despite all of those challenges, one of the marks of people who grew up in the Great Depression is that they were exceedingly generous with their neighbors. If they had today and you needed today, they would give to that need, right? And then we are all better together. Tomorrow you might have something that I need. And so they were marked, her family was marked for generous, as, as being a generous family, like many people were during the Great Depression because it's how they survived. Her stories remind me of the early church in Acts 2. Acts 2, verses 42, this is what that says. And they, voted them, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, prayer, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. My, my grandmother used to participate in these things called pounding for the pastor. Pounding for the pastor. It's not what you think it is. Like pastors get pounded sometimes and we get attacked for different things. Uh, I, I, I want you to know that that's not what this is and I'll tell you what that is. But this is a side note. Uh, the pastors and I, we sometimes count it a blessing uh, and an affirmation that we're, we're closing in on something good when we're critiqued, uh, in part because God's word is convicting and it's changing, it's altering. Uh, we are in the hands of the potter and if things change, uh, if things don't change, that's actually concerning to us. If things press your buttons a little bit and, you, and you're like not really happy with what we're saying, um, sometimes we're actually really thankful that that's occurring. So that's a little aside. Not in my notes. Um, but the pounding for the pastor is something different. A couple times a year, in the olden days, and it still happens in some parts of the country, parishioners would take what they have or sacrifice and get something from the store and bring groceries to the pastor. Many pastors around the country um, were unpaid and, and didn't have jobs. And so 
that, for money. And, and so people in the church would bring pounds of groceries and put them on their doorstep. That's what they did. And, and I learned just yesterday, actually, that my grandmother would quietly and freely make sure that the pastor's family always had beef. Always had beef. And she would do that. And I just found this out yesterday from my dad who also just re- learned that recently. She was just a quiet servant, so generous. She always made sure that the pastor's family had beef. When giving to the needy, we should give quietly without worry, not even allowing ourselves to keep track. Let's keep going. Verse four, it says, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So because of that, because of verse four, I think we should pause and careful, be careful to, to not assume it's always okay to make our giving known. As I already mentioned, there's plenty of evidence in the Bible that public giving is okay, right? As, as uh, we talked about from number seven and Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount and Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 8 where, where he's praising the Macedonians for their giving. <clears throat> there, there's lots of examples throughout the Bible of public giving. But this verse specifically notes so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Excuse me. Verse four invites us to ask, what's the reward? What's the value of giving in secret? Well, I believe that there's several. They're kind of practical and spiritual altogether, but there's several I wanna give you. There's several rewards. The first is it's more effective. Giving quietly or in secret is more effective. Uh, There's a book that I reference on the back of your sermon notes called When Charity Destroys Dignity by Glenn Schwartz. It's probably the best book I've ever read about how to give quietly and how to be a missionary or how to um, be a person, particularly a Western influence and how we think and idolize money and our positions of power and how do we engage with the needy. It's the best book out there on this. It's really good. But it's more effective to give quietly or or silently. At Forgotten Voices, we found that quiet investments in the local churches led to uh, more service, more volunteering, and more tithing at the local church. And when we did more loud giving, trumpet giving kind of giving, uh, we found that tithing and volunteering went down. It's like if you're a widow and you've got a dollar to put in the offering basket every week. And you're faithfully giving that dollar after week, after week, after week. And then I roll in and give $1,000 and the church makes a big deal about it. You as a widow have other uses for your dollar, right? And you're gonna stop giving that dollar because now the church has all the money it needs. And then I get bored of helping this church in Zimbabwe and I stop. And now this woman or you no longer has a pattern and rhythm of giving faithfully and trusting God with your everything. God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. And giving to the needy is a proclamation that you trust in the Lord. You don't need to keep track of this. God gave you this. You didn't have any of it. And he gave it to you out of his grace and his mercy. He gave you resources. Do not deny helping the needy, but do it quietly because it's more effective. It's more effective. The second reward is that it's a guardrail for us. It's a guardrail for us. Our money can be a weapon used against us by others and even against ourselves. Money's used to receive praise from others or to justify sin, right? We've all heard that, right? 
oh, that criminal or whoever it was. But he was such a good person. He was so generous with his money. He's helped so many people. How could he have ever done that? Or how can we punish him for this or that? He was so generous. When we give quietly, we stand our own character before others, not our wallets or financial influence. It's a good guardrail for us. And I think that there's really overt spiritual rewards. There's freedom and peace in obeying. I think that's one. There's freedom and peace in obeying. This posture of quiet investment helps us to stop and consider our heart. The reward, friends, is obedience, even if no one knows. I I remember in college going to, um, getting some advice from my parents about something, you know, and as a kid, I was like, oh, that's cute, and filed it away, and don't remember exactly what the advice was or what it was about. But I remember in college, in coming across a moment where I could either obey the guidance of my parents or not. And they were never around. They weren't around. They wouldn't know. And I remember obeying. Didn't always happen, but in this instance, I obeyed. And I slept well that night. There was a freedom and peace and obedience, knowing that I'd honor my parents, even if they never knew. That there's a freedom and peace in obeying the Lord. And another one is God gets more glory. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted when I give to the needy or I do something right for the needy. I, I, I can't help myself. I say, look at what I have done. For many years in my life, I was paralyzed by this idea. If I keep working, kids live. And if I stop working, kids die. Right? Look at what I've done. I worked really hard and look what I did. Actually, your generosity and my generosity to help these needy people that we've served together is just a small piece of the pie, right? As we talked about before, remember that Zambian lady? She saw her church and she saw her community love her and she saw God's glory through the people who faithfully walked with her and prayed with her and ministered to her day after day. You and I gave a couple bucks. And because of that woman's testimony and her proclamation and the ways that she saw, she wasn't just waiting for me to return. She was giving praise to God of what he had done while I've been away. And I got to bear witness to that. God gets more glory. He deserves it all. And the last one I'll give you, the last reward is who knows. What I mean by that is there might be more, maybe not. I'd rather go before God wondering if he's pleased with me than knowing I already got my reward that's long gone. It's like melted ice cream, right? When my kids say, like, can I have a treat now? Well, we might be getting something later. If you have it now, you can't get anything later. Okay, I want it now, right? And it's like a little bit of ice cream at my house because we don't give a lot. But then we go to my parents' house and they heap the ice cream on. Yep, you already had your ice cream. Can't have it here. God's rewards are better than ice cream. But the adoration of people when it comes to giving to the needy is like melted ice cream. Might be good, but it's gone. It's over. That's it. God's rewards are far, far grander. Friends, these four verses clearly assume 
that we will give to the needy as an act of righteousness. But when we give to the needy, what is the condition of our heart? What is our motive? Who do we want to get the glory? I'll close with this. I went to a banquet out of town a couple years ago for an organization that we support as a church. And, and at the banquet, a friend of mine was recognized as one of their volunteers of the year at this banquet. And I actually had no idea that they served there. And when I asked them about, hey, like, I mean, I thought we were pretty good friends. I didn't even know you were serving. This is what they said. They merely said, they sent this in an email. God made a way for me to serve there and I have seen the reward of doing so. God knows that is all I need. This is all quite embarrassing. What a good posture. What a good posture to have. Friends, we give to the needy to give glory to God. Our obedience with that posture of wanting to give glory to God gives him more glory. And it also brings practical and spiritual rewards for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this gift of your word. I thank you for giving to us so generously. Giving us all that we have, but more importantly, Lord, giving us all that we will ever need if we confess you as our Lord and Savior, that you gave your life for us. You gave to the needy. We had a deep need that only you could satisfy. So we just praise you for that, Lord. Lord, money is an idol in our context in ways that we don't even know, ways that I don't even know. So Lord, I pray for my people here. I pray that you grow our hearts to give to the needy as an act of glory for you, not the adoration of others. May the things in us that make the adoration of others the thing that we long for, remove that, Lord. Have your way with us. We want what you want. We want to give you glory. You are worthy of our everything. We trust you with our money, our lives, our heart, our comfort. It's all yours. Help us to grow in that. In your name we pray. Amen.